following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, the past few weeks we've been in the book of Genesis, and hasn't it been great already? I'm just looking forward to more and more. And uh, we've been studying our origins. Let me get rid of this. And uh, last week we looked at the fall of man. And as Romans tells us, sin entered the world through one man. And death came through that sin. And so death spread to all men. Well, mankind now sees physical death as a natural part of life. I work at hospice, and I'm always amazed at how okay people are with death, actually. Yeah, that was a shock to me when I first started working there a few years ago. And uh, people didn't know, don't know Christ. It's just they see death as just a natural part, and they're okay with that. And, uh, and we've even become desensitized to murder in our society uh, through TV shows, through video games, the news, abortion, mass shootings. This theme of death is a normal encounter in our daily lives. And look how far we've come since Genesis 3. And we are powerless to reverse the effects of sin and death, aren't we? In and of ourselves we are. And while all sin is cosmic treason against a holy God, murder is an attack on the very image of God. And although you'll quickly see that today's passage that we'll be in is... is about the first murder, it also is in a broader broader sense a commentary on the depravity of the human heart. It's shocking how quickly sins in the human race moves from eating forbidden fruit to killing one's own family member. We're going to see that uh, this murder takes place in the field, but that's not where it start, started. It begins in a man's heart and his refusal to approach God in faith. So the big idea today is the only way we can approach God, our holy creator, is through faith. The one who comes to him this way finds his home in God. The one who does not will face temporal and eternal consequences. So let's stand up. We'll read. This is God's word out of Genesis 4. It'll be a little lengthy. Bear with it. It's good. Genesis 4, 1 through 16 is what we'll read. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and all their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, 
I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hands. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If Cain, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray. Lord God, we are fully dependent on you today to apply your word in our hearts. So please help us, God. We're so grateful to know that it's you at work in us both to will and do your good pleasure. So, Lord, we ask that uh, that you give us godly desires and then you empower us by your spirit and your word to live out your commands, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we mentioned last week, uh, we looked at human race's first couple, Adam and Eve, and their place in God's beautiful garden, and their fallen, fallen sin, and then the consequences that they fa- faced as they're banished from that garden. In this passage, we'll see that same couple gives birth to two sons. We'll jump right in, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. This pregnancy must have brought such joy to this couple. Think about it. All of these firsts that are happening, this first conception, the very first pregnancy, first morning sickness, eventually the first birth pains, and then the first birth. And then with the birth of this first baby, Eve names him Cain, saying, God made man, and now with his help, I've made a second man. This was a faith-filled declaration. Remembering back to previous chapter uh, in verse 20, where Adam renamed his wife from woman to Eve, meaning life giver. So Eve gives praise to God for his son, for the son. And at this point, Eve may have even thought that this could be the promised one, the one who would come and crush the deceiver. God had promised that through the seed of a woman, he'd promised this to the serpent. One would come to crush his head. And after God had made that promise, there had to be a sense within Adam and Eve that God was now providing that victor. The stage was set, or so it seemed, huh? Well, then verse 2, she conceives again and bears a second son, names him Abel, meaning breeze or breath, not even knowing how fleeting Abel's life would be. But instead of that victor, one of her sons would take the life of the other. Can you imagine? Instead of a savior, we will see more of fallen man's disunity with God and his disunity with his brother and will and 
and ultimately his struggle and conflict with creation itself. And what we see in this passage today is the spread of sin in the original family passed down through Adam and the effects of the fall in this family. Indeed, all families. Clearly, we're no longer in paradise. We're east of Eden, aren't we? That's where we live. So we'll spend most of our time this morning looking at these two brothers and at their two offerings. Let's continue in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel in his offering, but for Cain in his offering, he had no regard. So here are these two brothers. One's a farmer and one's a rancher, and they both uh, prepare offerings and bring them to the Lord, and one is accepted by God and one is not. And the question we ask is why? Why would God accept one offering and then reject the other? Well, let's take a minute and think about what we know about offerings. There's there's no indication in Scripture that the substance of either offering was more or less acceptable than the other. Some may attach the meaning of the blood sacrifice because absolutely that theme is significant throughout Scripture, isn't it? But this passage doesn't explicitly communicate that God is displeased with an offering from the ground. In fact, that same word for offering, a Hebrew word, minha, is the same word used later when God establishes a grain offering in Leviticus. It's a means of expressing gratitude to him. So we know that in and of itself, a grain offering is not unacceptable to God. We need to take a closer look at these verses just before us and ask, what do we see? We see in verse 4 that Abel brought the firstborn of his flock. And we see that Abel brought the fat portions, which brings us to our first point without Abel. The first point is the actions of belief. This is what we see in Abel's life. Abel brought the first and the best, and he brought all of the first and the best. Now, Now, why would he even do that? What would motivate a man to bring the first and to bring his best to God and to bring all of it, give all of it to him. Well, thankfully, the book, it's a little bit of a mystery here in uh, in Genesis. So I spent a lot of time in the New Testament as I was uh, working on this sermon. Thankfully, the book of Hebrews sheds even more light on what's going on here. Hebrews explains that the significance lies in the reason that Abel gave his offering, not what he gave, but why and how he gave it. Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. By faith, Abel offered to God. So let's talk about this. What is faith? We're going to have to spend a good amount of time on this this morning because it's foundational to understanding this entire passage that we're in. The world seems to have no problem talking about faith, does it? The world, that word is thrown around in social media. You hear it in sports. If you go to the store today, you'll probably see it on the, on the shelf somewhere. Faith, hope, and love. But the, the faith that the world is talking about is a very anemic faith. It's very vague and meaningless. Faith in what? Some force, faith in others, faith in yourself. Well, the, the Greek word used here, in Hebrews 11:4, describing Abel's faith is the word pistis. It means the conviction that God exists 
and that he's the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation. Now, that definition of of faith is anything but meaningless and vague. (laughs) And the word would probably quickly fall out of favor with the world if they understood that meaning. That God is the creator and ruler of all things and the provider and bestower of eternal salvation. I think those the decor would disappear from the shelves. (laughs) When our eyes are open to God as the creator of all things, and as the Holy One in whom we have only one, that we have hope and salvation, it transforms the way that we approach him in worship, as it did for Abel. Abel's mentioned here in Hebrews 11 among the saints in a section that we know as the Hall of Faith. These saints believed that God was all-powerful, that he was all-present, all-knowing. They believed that he was holy, that God was just, that he is good, that he is gracious and merciful, that God is wise. And they believed that God rewards those who diligently seek him. Ken Hughes says this about that. Whether these great people of faith were called to focus their belief on God's rewards in history or in eternity... They all believed that God was actively working in them, excuse me, and through them and for them. They would reward and would reward them even though they could not always see or understand how. Do you believe that? And note that with Abel, there's an element of of action and obedience to his faith. Abel's high view of God And his love and acceptance in him, appreciation for him, is why he brought his first and best. And a heart like this finds it joy to bring a sacrifice to a wonderful God. The life of faith is a life of obedience because it's a driving motivation to live for God, not for self. If we don't have a driving motivation for living for God, that's incompatible to a saving faith in God. You can't have a saving faith in God, and have no desire to obey him. James 2, 14 and 17 say, What good is it, brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Can that faith save him? So also, faith by itself, it does not has work, has not works, is dead. Abel's belief and his faith and trust in God is authenticated by his actions and his obedience to him. So it's not because Abel brings the offering that he's accepted. It's because Abel approached God by faith that he brought his this offering. Man may be fooled by the outward, but we know that God looks upon the heart, doesn't he? That's why Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he comes, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So it's because of this that faith that uh, Abel brought God his first and his best and all of his first and best. First and best doesn't just happen. I don't know if you noticed that. First and best is intentional. If the worship of God is important to a person, it will show, it'll be evident in their lives. Worshiping God's not an afterthought for the one who really trusts in him. God holds the first position and gets the first portion of the life lived by faith. 
true worship of God will be prioritized with intentionality in our affections, in our schedules, in our relationships, in our possessions, in all of our life. So Abel's worship of God was not out of obligation or some form of legalism at all, but out of his adoration and appreciation for God and knowing that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And because of faith, uh, Abel's faithfulness, we see three outcomes. There are three, three outcomes of Abel's faithfulness. First, we see that he was accepted. Abel was accepted. Look at Genesis 4-4. And the Lord had regard for Abel. That word regard there means that God beheld or he gazed at Abel. Isn't that beautiful? I just picturing as we're singing today, God gazing at us. Reminds me of the verse, who is man that you're mindful of him, right? Well, God bore witness. That's, this means that God bore witness. He, he uttered an honorable testimony of Abel and his offering. So Abel found affirmation and acceptance in God. As this verse says, God accepted him. You know, people do some crazy things for acceptance, don't they? I've done some. To be accepted by man is a wonderful thing, but to be accepted by God is a more glorious thing altogether. Do you know what it's like to be accepted by God? To be at peace with Him? It's His approval that we should be, uh, that should be our utmost concern, our greatest desire. Well, not only was Abel accepted, but we see also the second thing is that his offering was accepted. Notice the order here. Uh, the Lord had regard for Abel, then his offering. First the man, then the offering. Was the offering especially extravagant? We don't really know, do we? But what we do know is that man's best efforts are worthless before a holy God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Abel approached God in faith and gave his offering in faith. His offering was pleasing to God. So not only was Abel accepted and was his offering accepted, but there's a third outcome of Abel's faithfulness. He was murdered. Didn't see that coming, did you? Not only was he accepted and his offering accepted, but he was also murdered. He died. But that's not the way we think faith is supposed to work, is it? That's right. He died. And think about it. His death was directly tied to his faithfulness to God. Becoming the first martyr of faith. We sang a song this morning about the martyrs gone before us. Abel's short-lived life serves as a reminder that living a life of faith in God is rewarding, but it's also costly. Costly, but still worth it, forsaking all to live for God. His shortened life also serves to remind us that we, we may never see our reward here in this world, in this life, but we're not placing our trust or expectation in that. We're placing it in eternity. Faith sees beyond this life into eternity. And Abel had found his home in God himself. God was his desire. We all will die. We don't often like to think about this, 
lot of times we push those thoughts out of our minds. But the wise man does think about these things. I'd still rather be found in Abel's shoes than Cain's. Wouldn't you rather live a short life lived in faith than to live a hundred to die without Christ? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Do you believe this? It doesn't profit him at all. When you commit your life to the capable and loving hands of God, you are eternally safe in him. Now, now that we have that in place, we're ready to move a little bit more quickly through the rest of this passage. If Abel's attitude was one that demonstrates the centrality and priority of worshiping God, Cain's view could best be described as self-centered. That brings us to our second point with Cain, the consequences of unbelief. Picking up at the end of verse 4, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, but for Cain and his offering, God had no regard. Now, the next, the, a couple of things that we immediately note here is that Cain did some things. First of all, Cain believed in God. The existence of God was never questioned in Cain's mind. He knew. He, there was no doubt. But James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one, you do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. So believing that there is a God is different than trusting him with your life. Another thing that we can notice about Cain is that he he did sacrifice. I mean, doesn't he get points for that? <laughs> Cain prepared an offering. So he had works, but it's apparent that the these works weren't rooted in faith and trust of God's goodness. And we saw, like we saw with Abel. And Matthew 7 has something to say about dead works as well. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Whoa. So we learned earlier that faith without works is dead or useless, but we also see here that works without faith is useless. There should be both faith and works in a man's heart. You, anybody know that old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way? To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Apart from faith in Christ for salvation, the best we can offer is dead, useless works. Trusting and obeying God. Our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. So as we work through this passage today, it will become apparent that Cain had a low view of God and had a very high view of himself. This is in contrast to what we learned about Abel and what the New Testament comments on him. Where Abel was careful to please God, we will see that Cain didn't care. Where Abel brought his offering out of reverence for God, Cain brought his out of obligation. Where Abel brought his first and best, we'll see that Cain brought what was convenient. Where Abel had an apparent love and a reverence for God, it will become apparent that Cain wanted to go his own way and just check a box. 
in the sports world, they'd they'd say that Kane phoned it in, right? Kane is self-centered and self-focused, and a self-centered and self-focused worship is not worship at all. It may not be apparent at first, but Cain's view of worship were for his purposes, for his good, what he could get out of it, keep to himself. It's a very Cain-centric view. Look at verse 5. For Cain and his offering, God had no regard. The man wasn't rejected because of his offering, but the offering was rejected because of the man. His heart wasn't right with God. Cain could have even brought a blood sacrifice, and still it would have been rejected by God if it wasn't offered in faith, right? God isn't pleased, because we know that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So to state it slightly differently, if the worship and reverence for God isn't right, the man's not right. And if the man's not right, the offering will never be right. It doesn't matter what the offering is. And this would explain why God had no regard for the man and why God had no regard for the offering. Cain, C.H. Spurgeon says this, Cain was the lover of a merely outward worship in which faith had no place. He loved a worship of show and pomp. He garnished the altar with fruits and decked it with flowers. His was a religion of taste and elegance, a religion of his own devising. But it was devoid of a humble, believing, spiritual reference to the promised deliverer. There's a sense that Cain is attempting to make God in his own image. When you when you hear someone start a sentence with, I like to think that God is, or I like to believe that God is okay with, that's often a man-made view of, of God, or more accurately, a man-made God. Because in the heart of man, there is this constant temptation that I fight to place myself at the center of everything and then to use God for my purposes. But no, we look to God's word and we see what he has said and what he's revealed to know who he is, to know what he loves, to know what he hates. Faith knows that putting God's will first and seeking his glory is in the end what's best for us. This is why when we gather to worship, we don't want to come here and sing songs about us. We want to sing songs about the risen Christ. Amen? Well, let's go on and see the results of Cain's unbelief and his low view of God. Verse 5 continues. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? At this point, things go from bad to worse in Cain's heart. (laughs) He's now angry with God. Our first clue should be any time that we begin accusing God of anything, that we are the guilty party. He's never wrong. He's a holy, righteous God, and he's good. God perfect. God is perfectly just. And when confronted with sin, we can never conclude that God is part of the problem. No, the problem is not in God's heart. The problem is in our heart. As we note that Cain's face has fallen, we seek uh, our happiness outside of God. Anytime we do that, it never results in happiness in the long run. Sin may be self-pleasing and self-satisfying in the moment, but ultimately it leads to death and destruction. All too often, the things that ail our souls begin with something that's out of alignment with God. Anger, anxiety, fear. I'd love to sit down and talk with Bill about that sometime. 
Cain's soul was so twisted up that his face showed it. Let's continue, verse 7. If you do well, God says, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, if there was any question that Cain was unaware that he got it wrong with his offering, that's cleared up pretty quickly in verse 7 here. God lays out a path to make things right. He communicates that path, path of faith, the right thing to do to Cain. And if Cain responds to God's correction, the outcome would be, if he turned his direction, he would be accepted by God, and that grimace that's on his face can be turned to a smile. He could be right with God. Could God have been any clearer? God in his mercy gave opportunity for repentance, and along with it, he gave a warning that sin is crouching at the door. This this description of sin is striking. It's like a wild beast that's ready to pounce on Cain's soul, ready to have Cain for lunch. Cain heard the warning, and Cain knew there was a way out, but Cain didn't care. Cain's heart was hard, and he was stiff-necked, and he was jealous of his brother. You know, it's been many years now that I've moved from Missouri to Oregon, but back in Missouri... It seemed we it seemed like we had our more than our four, fair if I can talk we had more than our fair share of uh, flash floods <clears throat> and it was always beyond my understanding how on the news I'd see that yet another driver had blown through a, a warning sign or a, a barricade only to end up in the current of a flood water and to be carried to their death. The weather warns the new, newscaster warns people warn along the way the signs warn. But somehow, some way, the determined soul can find its way to destruction. It's tragic. But listen, we all know people, maybe some of us here today, that have had one warning after another, blown through red flags after another from the Lord. I'm sure that there are some here today. God's barriers are kind. Do you know that? When he warns us, he knows that destruction lies ahead. God warn, God's warnings are merciful. His discipline is a treasure. Repentance is a beautiful gift from the Lord. Turn to him today. Cain didn't heed God's, God's warning. Cain was determined in his rebellion. Cain's responses to the Lord were perpetually rooted in unbelief. Look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. The first murder. Taking his very own brother's life. Can you even imagine? Probably looked a lot alike. And yet he took the life. And he's looking down at his lifeless body. And we ask for what reason? Why? Bonhoeffer says, because he hated Abel? Yes and no. Because he despised God. Murder is an act of hatred toward God for making another who offends us. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? If this were today, I suspect Cain's response would sound something like, I don't know. <laughs> Parents, you ever heard that? Teachers? <laughs> 
So Cain leads with a lie, and then he follows with about as hard of a remark as that there could be. Am I my brother's keeper? Cain's hardness of heart is evident. Note that the murder of Abel doesn't begin when the two head out into the field. Cain has an issue with God. It's an authority issue with the king of kings. It begins with Cain's low view of God, and he did not honor him. He did not give him thanks. It begins with refusal to worship and revere him. Then Cain spurning God's warning. Then Cain not dealing with the jealousy in his own heart, not being honest with God at his inquest. Cain not watching over his own life. If we don't get the love and worship for God right, everything unravels from there. If we don't hold God in high esteem, everything unravels from there. We see this in a few statements from Romans 1. By their righteousness, they suppress the truth. God has shown it to them. They are without excuse. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. And since they didn't see fit to acknowledge God, what did God do? God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. The murder of Abel does not begin in the field. It begins with Cain's unwillingness to honor God and worship him and give him thanks. Let's continue in verse 10. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Now, things just got exponentially more difficult for Farmer Cain. (laughs) The ground is now against him. The one who's living was to grow produce as if farming's not hard enough, right? Farming has always been difficult, but this, with farming, farming, man does his part. He tills the ground, he plants the seed, but there's something that every farmer knows that God must do his part or it's a useless undertaking. <laughs> so for Cain to hear that the ground would no longer yield its strength to him, it's a consequence that's attached directly to his livelihood. And this is just a chapter after his dad had heard there would be toil eating from the ground with thorns and thistles. Cain's strife with the earth is even further exasperated. And why? Because at the work of Cain's own hands, ironically, his brother's blood had been shed. And that blood poured out from Abel into the soil that Cain had always worked. What a picture. That same soil that Cain put the seed into he sprinkled with his brother's blood. The ground from which Cain had worked, and he planted, and he grew, and he cut, and he even prepared his faithless offering from. So those are things we see about Cain. What do we see about God here? We see that God in his kindness counsels Cain in his depression and his anger and jealousy. God in his goodness, he gave Cain a path to be made right. 
In his mercy, he warned Cain of the consequences. In his long suffering, he gave Cain opportunities to repent and turn. And we truly see that God demonstrates the scripture here that says he is not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Cain knew there was a way, but bottom line, Cain didn't care, and he blew it off. So continuing in verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face shall I be take, be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Do you hear the regret there? Yet still, here's the interesting thing. What's on Cain's mind? Look at it. My, I, me, I, I, me. It's not God and his glory that Cain's concerned about. He has no concern for his brother Abel's life. There's no sign of concern for his parents who have lost their second son. The only thing on Cain's mind is Cain. No godly sorrow or repentance. And still, if there's any question, if you think I'm reading too much into this, my wife was questioning that. <laughs> Let's look at this. First John 3.12, Cain was of the evil one and slew his brother. Jude, verse 11 says, those who walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. It's talking about apostasy. Hmm. Continue on in verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the, the presence of the Lord. That's a sad statement, isn't it? Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Even in Cain's banishment, we see God's boundless mercy. Derek Kinder says this about the mark that Cain, that God put on Cain. It is the utmost that mercy can do for the unrepentant. He goes on to say, it was in the presence of the Lord that the crisis had arisen. Cain's departure was both his sentence and his choice. On the one hand, he had feared banishment from thy face, and the wondering, now expressed in the name Nod, which means wondering, ironically. On the other hand, he had, a, he had disdained contrition or humility, and now set himself to make some success of his independence. Hmm. So in a, in a sense, Cain basically gets what he thinks he wants. Independence from God. That's a bad place to be. An unrepentant heart does not want to stay long in the presence of a holy God. But each will someday face him. So it did not end well for Cain. It's a very tragic and hopeless situation. And if you go on to finish this chapter, you'll see that there, although there are some cultural achievements, Cain's descendants followed in his footsteps in defiance and unbelief. And there's one particular descendant named here, Lamech, who is especially Cain-like. You can read that on your own. And Cain's descendants grew in number, and they also grew in ungodliness. And spoiler alert, none of Cain's descendants would survive an upcoming flood. I don't know. Sorry, Dave. I don't know if you're preaching that 
message coming soon. <laughs> but the offspring turns out to be an outcast murderer, the one that was hoped to be the promised one. And the second son, his life was snuffed out. So what about the promise? Adam and Eve would bear another son. Let's look at verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. Eve's faith seems to be bolstered here and even more expectant and confident in God than what it was in verse 1. She emphasizes God's promise by naming their third son Seth, which means appointed. There's still hope and promise of a victor to crush the serpent's head. Through the lineage of Seth would come our Savior, Jesus. Wow. Which brings us to our final point. It's a brief one. Our sin is great, but God's grace is greater. Now, Genesis is not the last place that Abel's name is mentioned. And I'm so glad that Genesis is not the last place that we hear about our Savior, Jesus. (laughs) This side of the cross we see something so wonderful. There's this beautiful passage in Hebrews 12 that says, starting with verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of God, the, the souls that departed, angels assembled, the church of the firstborn, and then come these words in verse 24. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Wow. Abel's blood cried out to God. His voice reached the courtroom of heaven. What do you think blood cries out in God's ears? Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. But Jesus' blood shouts forgiveness for all who come to him in faith. Abel's blood cries for justice. The blood of Jesus says, paid in full. Abel's blood cries out accusation. Blood of Jesus says, it's dealt with. Abel's blood cries out guilt. The blood of Jesus says, forgiven. Abel's blood cries out condemnation. And in Jesus' blood, he says, in me, there's eternal life and hope. Spurgeon says this, Oh, then, my clamoring sins, I can hear you, but I'm not afraid of you. For the blood of Jesus speaks louder than you all. Oh, then, conscience, I can hear your accusation, but I'm not alarmed. For my Savior died. I come before God with perfect confidence, because sprinkled with the blood of my substitute. (laughs) Praise God. So there's hope for us all. His blood covers all the sins when we approach him by faith. Sins of anger, hatred, lust, jealousy, even Cain, and after murdering his brother, if he had turned to God in faith, he would have been forgiven. The blood of Christ covers our public sins. The blood of Christ covers our private sins, even murder. If someone here even has taken another life, there's forgiveness in Christ. Praise God. If you've caused so much damage 
to another life and you think you're beyond forgiveness, you're not. Christ's blood is sufficient. Our sins are great, but God's grace is greater. The sprinkled blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That's why we proclaim the gospel. Isn't that good news? And here we proclaim the gospel, and wherever we go as a church, we proclaim the gospel. We come to Christ through faith. And I invite you, if you haven't done that, come to Christ through faith today. Find your home in him. Come in reverence and humility, seeing who he is. Come with thankfulness in your heart, seeing how good he is. Turn to him. Turn from your sins. And he will save you. Praise God. Let's pray. Ere since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. God, I am so grateful for what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life. No one takes it from you, but you laid it down willingly. The perfect sacrifice, the holy lamb for us, God, so that we can be right with you, that we can find acceptance in you. We can find our home in you, God. Thank you for your goodness, God. We worship you today. Thank you for this table that we're about to come to. Lord, may we never get over what you've done on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. How could we ever say thank you enough? We love you. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.